Good morning. I am Pastor Dave. What's left of him? Um, I want to thank you. Some of you know I've been, uh, I was sick at the end. Well, I was sick last Sunday, and it just got worse. This is the longest I've been out of the house since last Sunday. My wife voted no. I voted yes. It was a tie. <laughs> tie went to the runner. So I left. Um, so I appreciate your prayers. Um, we've been doing a series on, on prayer and uh, what it means. And we've been using this definition from Timothy Keller that prayer is a personal, communicative response to knowing God. Personal. It's relational. Um, but it's also personal in the sense that um, when we're in prayer, there are things that we are talking about with God that we would perhaps not put on the office communication board. Some of you probably would, but most of us wouldn't. In other words, there's things that I'm praying to God to that I may only share with my small group. Or there's other things that I'm praying for that I might only share with two or three people. There's some things I'm praying for that I might, might only just share with my wife. It's personal. It's a communication with God based on how we know him. So we've been looking at uh, prayer, and we did this ask, seek, knock, and then we looked at praying for the prodigal, praying for the lost, praying for healing. We talked about how it's more than just physical. We talked about praying for the, the impossible, and what we looked at is that God makes these incredible changes in us, and so we know that God can make incredible changes in other people and other things. And then we kind of branched off a little bit into this dangerous prayers. Now, I stole this from a book that I never read, but I like the title. And uh, we took some of these phrases, and we're looking at them. And so we looked at search me, and then last week, break me. That was the idea of being broken by conviction of sin and coming to confession. And this morning, we're looking at use me. Now, I, I got to say, I don't know if it was the cold medicine or what this week as I was preparing this, but I just felt like my mind was going so many different directions. And I think part of that is, is for me, this is one of those topics that kind of bothers me a little bit in the church. What it means to serve God. And uh, like many of you, I grew up in the church. And I loved God. I, just as a kid, I was, I don't think I was a weird kid. I think I was a normal kid that really fell in love with Jesus. And so it's like, what do I do next? Well, you do this. Okay, well, I'm in this. I'm in this Bible study. And I'm in this youth group. But I'm involved in leadership. And I'm doing, what do I do next? Will you serve God? Well, what does it mean to serve God? Will you work in children's ministries? Oh, it's as if Paul was writing the New Testament and the children's director came to him and said, Paul, we're really having trouble getting nursery workers in the church in Ephesus and Thessalonica. And Paul said, don't worry, I got it covered. I'm going to write about serving God. And I, now, don't get me wrong, Rich is nervous now. We, we do need children's workers. But serving God is much bigger than that. So we have this idea of use me, 
And I was wrestling with it. And here's my conclusion on this. Here's one prayer. I promise you, if you pray it, God will answer it. I promise. Because he's already said he will. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Now let me just say something about my slide here. As a pastor, this is how I feel when I ask somebody to serve. Um, This is the response that I get. This isn't a picture of anybody in our church, by the way. Some of you are wondering. It's not a caricature of anybody. If you're trying to figure out, who did he draw up there? It's just an accumulation of all. Scratch that from the record back there. (laughs) Just as kind of a theme for this morning, we're going to look at some different verses because this is a a bigger topic. But but the theme is this, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are, we are, we being those who have trusted Jesus Christ, who've placed their faith in him, we are, not we're going to be, not we we were, notice we are, God's workmanship. Now, what Paul is saying here is he's talking about the gospel and he's talking about how we were dead and we're raised to life. And so he's saying you've been recreated. At the point of coming to Christ, you've been recreated. You're this new workmanship. So we are, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus Four good works. Okay, there's the idea of being used by God, serving good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. God, use me. I've already created you. I've already prepared the good works. And I just love that phrase so that you could walk in them. Not so that you can find them, Hunt them out, just just walk in it. So if you pray, God, use me, so I plan on it. It's what I recreated you for, for this great purpose. So what does it really mean to serve God? We're going to look at that in three different ways this morning. To serve God, to share about God, and to sacrifice for God. If we're praying that God would use us, we are praying, God, use me to serve you. Use me to share about you. Use me to sacrifice for your kingdom. First, God, use me to serve you. Now, some of you who've been in the church for a while uh, remember Rick Warren's book. I think it's been a couple decades now. It's been at least a decade because it was before I got here. And uh, I know you guys did uh, it as a church before I got here. So it was at least, it's over a decade ago in his book, uh, Purpose Driven Life. And so these three, first three numbers here, just this part, uh, when I was preparing this, I'm like, man, what? pulled his, his book off my shelf, you know, kind of did one of those a little bit, looked at the serve chapter. Some of you need to go back and read that book again. There's some really good stuff in there. So his three points from, from Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, We are created to serve. In fact, I would use the word recreated. We were created in his image, and now we're being recreated as we come to Christ. And he 
we did that so that we would serve God. So we need to know what it means to serve God. We're going to come back to that. Second, we were, <coughs> excuse me, we are saved to serve. We are created to serve. And second, we are saved to serve. Second uh, Timothy 1, 8 through 9 says this, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Look, he saved us to move us to a holy calling. And then third, we are called to serve. In 1 Peter, it says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When, when Peter wrote this, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Yes, he was inspired by God. But he's also picking up on a theme from the Old Testament. In Exodus 19, as God brings his people out of Egypt, which we've been reading about in our reading, right? Brings his people out of Egypt. He says to his people in 19, we'll get there in just a, about a, a little over a week. And you, and unto me, you shall be a kingdom of priests. He says that to the entire nation of Israel. <clears throat> You're a kingdom of priests. A holy nation. And Peter is, is pulling that out. And he's saying, look, you, you are called out to be this whole nation of priests. Now, it's not that, that they failed in that and then the priesthood was created. They haven't failed here yet. What is happening is he's saying, you're going to be a whole kingdom, a whole nation of priests, and I'm going to call out some Levitical priests to kind of lead kind of the way here. Now, that's important for you to understand because God intended that for Israel Peter says it of us. He meant for us all to be priests. <coughs> so what does it mean to serve God? You know, uh, again, it's more than finding a job in the church directory to do. It's bigger than that. And I've butted heads with people um, because I, I, I think I see this differently and, it, and I know it irritates people and I don't mean for it to be. But what ends up happening is because we see serving God as happening within the walls or the campus is that then there becomes a hierarchy of jobs. And then because there's the hierarchy, there's a place that if you really get good at what you're doing, you finally end up getting to serve God on the stage. With your musical talents or your words of wisdom or your teaching ability or whatever it is. And I've had people argue with me, you get to use your gifts on Sunday. Why can't I use my gifts on Sunday? You can use your gifts wherever. 
I hate to tell you, but I use my gifts of teaching outside of these walls. I get to use my gifts on Sunday because that's what you pay me to do. Um, so what does it mean to serve God? We serve God, number one, in obedience. In fact, it's really interesting. The Bible describes conversion, that is, coming to Christ, as turning from idols to serve God. There's a, there's a contrast made. You used to, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, serve idols or worship idols, now you serve God. You worshiped idols, now you serve God. How do we serve God? By worshiping him and obeying him. In simple ways, just obeying who Christ wants you to be, you are serving God. We serve God in worship. Now, we've used a definition around here of worship is, that I brought, borrowed from uh, uh, Alan and Bohr in their book on worship. That worship is an active response to God whereby we declare his worth. When I serve, if I serve correctly, God should be lifted up and I should be brought down. So I worship him. It's what I focus on. It's what, I, what I'm concentrating on. Somebody today said, that I read, said, worship is what you're mind goes to. You know, it's just, all of a sudden you find yourself scrolling on Facebook or doing this or doing that. It's like, how did I get over here? Oh, it's because I really love that thing. We serve God in peacemaking. We introduced, uh, again, this morning, the series that we're going to do on forgiveness um, we've made it one of our pathways here to loving, um, uh, excuse me, um, loving people. It's part of our vision. How do we love people? By modeling peacemaking. In uh, Romans chapter 8, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the one time in Scripture, and I, there's very few others. This is one of, the, one of the only times I can think of where Paul says, here's your ministry. It's a ministry of reconciliation. He never says, and he gave us the ministry of women's ministry, or the ministry of men's ministry, or the ministry of children's ministry. Sorry, Rich. We, we need children's workers. The ministry he gave us was reconciliation. We'll come back to that. <coughs> Sorry. We serve in the body. There is a place, obviously, for serving one another in the body. We do that by children's ministry and youth ministry and women's ministry and men's ministry. We are serving one another. Absolutely, we should do that. We serve in the church. Look, if we're going to have communion, 
It doesn't just magically appear. The doors don't just unlock at 9 a.m., although that'd be really cool and we probably could purchase that now, but not not usually. (coughs) The furnace doesn't fix itself. That would be a really great miracle, though, wouldn't it, Dean? Just like laying hands on the... No. Um, Peter writes, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, okay? They're serving in the body. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God might be glorified. Serve in the church, serve the body, absolutely you should do that. We should also serve in our homes. Paul tells us that the one who does not take care of his family is worse than a non-believer. There's a few verses that relationally my role as dad and husband and that really hit me. This is one of them, okay? This one, I, didn't, I never set out to memorize this one. It's just one of those ones you read and you go, oh, right? There's another one about husbands, how you treat your wives so that your prayers are not hindered. I remember reading that verse going, I can't be having my prayers hindered. That's not a good thing. Right, so we we serve in our homes. And then we also serve in the neighborhood. We serve our neighbors. This is one of the the hardest things Jesus said is, he says, you know, it's the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, soul, second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, Jesus, that sounds hard. Who's my neighbor? Give me a, Give me a geographical little section that I can take from so that I could do that. Jesus tells a story of loving your enemy. Wow. Please don't misunderstand me. (laughs) I don't want to say that we shouldn't serve in children's ministry or youth ministry or women's ministry or men's ministry or deaconess ministry or deacon's ministry or with the grounds. God has blessed us with this incredible piece of property on the corner of 2nd and Lincoln, right in this downtown area, to be a beacon of the gospel. Let's do it well. But lest we forget that we're called to serve God first, And that there are people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, whom we also have to serve. You have the gift of singing, and David won't let you sing for whatever reason. There's several of the rest homes that have services that are always looking for people to lead worship. There's other ways to use the gift that God has given you. So pray, God, use me. And he will, because he's already prepared things in advance for you to do. Second, to share about God. 
Now, again, on this idea of, of what it means to be the priesthood of all believers, the Reformation made a huge change in the orthodoxy, the, the doctrine of the church, its beliefs. And it promised to make a huge change in the orthopraxy, that is, the, what we do of the church, its practices. But I think in a lot of ways, the church has failed to complete the Reformation. When Luther rediscovered the gospel and emphasized that our justification is by grace, through faith, a personal response to God, it changed the role of the church from the dispenser of grace, actually giving out grace, that's what actually started the fight, to the proclaimer of grace. And so here's what the old model of the church looked like. And it really probably should be the church, God is at the top, holy, and then you've got its representatives, the clergy, and then the people are at the bottom. And the clergy is kind of this mediator, this in-between. That's not the biblical model of what the church looks like. The biblical model, the new model, the biblical model, is just that we are all the priesthood of believers. That we are the holy church. Together, we've been called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And those are words that we don't think of ourselves as. When we think of the church, we think of the church with many races. And Peter says, no, you are one holy race. When we think of the priesthood, we think of a small group of people and Peter says, no, you are a royal priesthood. When we think of nations, we think geographically. And Peter says, no, the church is the nation. Large C. A people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we're to share about this, all of us. So let's think for a minute, what's the role of the priesthood? It, the priesthood represents the people before God. Which is going to run out first, the water or me? I have another bottle, sorry. Um, we, we talked about this a little bit as we were doing some Old Testament study, but there's a and you look at the three offices of Israel, prophet, priest, and king. The king is God's representative of the people. He says, here's the laws, here's how you're supposed to do all these things, here's the boundaries. The priest represents the people to God, the sacrifices and the, the ceremonies and all this kind of stuff. The prophets kind of yelled at the kings when they did things wrong and yelled at the people when they did things wrong. Not yelled, but you know, put, put them back in the right direction. They're kind of the judicial branch, if you will. You guys have gotten off track. So priesthood represents the people before God. Have you, ever, have you ever found yourself in that role? You're not a pastor. Something happens to your neighbor. And they know you go to church. And all of a sudden, they're at your doorstep telling you about their, their marriage or their parents dying or 
children, and you're just like, what a, can I give you my pastor's number? No, for you, they're the closest thing you, they know of a pastor. And you know what? Don't go, I'm not, because you are. You are part of that. Second, a priest serves the people of God. We've been using uh, the term in here after the, the assessment, right? Peer care and peer discipleship. Yeah, it's, it's the role of us all to do the caring. And then third, and we keep bringing this topic up, but reconcile the people to God. That ministry of reconciliation. Let's look at it one more time. Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, he is becoming a new creation. Is that what it says? He is. He is, at this point, a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave each one of us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean we're called to do? First, most importantly, we need to help people reconcile themselves to God, man to God. Who are you praying for? that doesn't know Christ yet. On my daily prayer calendar in my journal, I have about 10 things I'm trying to pray for in a regular day. And I have them listed out there. And then things get added to the sides and windows of this page. But one of the things I pray for under a subheading is that I would be a better witness to my friends and family for Jesus Christ. Praying on a daily basis, God, make me a better witness to my friends and family for Jesus Christ. And over on the side, I have five people right now, there's more, but five that I'm praying for on a daily basis to come to know Jesus Christ. Two of them sit and chat in Starbucks every day. And I've gone over there a couple of times um, in my 10 years of being here. <laughs> so somehow I've gotten to know them. And I know how broken they are. And I know other people are sharing Christ with them too, but I pray for them by name every day. A couple of family members. Another guy in the community that I see on a regular basis. So when I say, God, I want to be a better witness, that's general. But then I name people by name, that's specific. These are people that need to be reconciled to God. Second, reconcile man to man. Sometimes that means getting involved in helping people work things out. So CB Northwest introduced us to this great little booklet 
We want everybody in the church to read it as a devotion, morning or night. It won't take you very long. Um, Richard, we're going to do a series on forgiveness. Let me just kind of specify that a little bit. The book is on forgiveness. <laughs> the sermon series that we're doing is about who we are in Christ. And so we're, we're marrying those two. And the thought is this. You know, I, I've struggled, I'll just give you this illustration, I've struggled with my weight my entire life. Um, and I was, I was a, a chunky kid. In fact, I remember um, when, it, when it really hit me, so my grandmother was buying me some pants at Mervyn's. Have Mervyn's up here? No, that was a California thing. Yeah. They called them California Mervyn's up here, didn't they? For a while. Yeah, that's why they failed. I think right there was that marketing strategy. Anyway, we were in Mervyn's buying corduroys, which I hated, but my grandmother loved for me to wear them. And uh, I said, why do they say hefty on them? I mean, who puts kid hefty on kids' pants? Oh, it means they last longer. It was for bigger kids. That's what it was. And so I had kids teasing me. I remember that growing up. In high school, by the grace of God, I got taller. And I thinned out. If you look at my high school pictures, I was, I was, I was lean. In fact, my wife actually told me, I forgot marriage, you're a little too thin. <clears throat> but you know what? When I was in high school, when I looked in the mirror, do you know what I saw? I saw a fat kid. Because that's who everybody told me I was. So when we're talking about identity and forgiveness, I think we start acting according to who we think we are. We're forgiven. We are God's workmanship. We are a new creation. We are a holy nation. We are gifted. We are loved. So we're going to look at some of those titles. So that helps us when we're realizing we're forgiven and we're realizing we're loved. It helps us in this forgiveness process to each other. Third, uh, reconciling families. Um, we have a hard year at the church <coughs> for seeing families uh, changed. And the reason for that is we believe that when mom and dad are changed, that it trickles down to the kids. Um, unfortunately, and we, we want to see kids change too, but it doesn't always trickle up. Sometimes it does, but it trickles down better than it trickles up. And so we want to really help families here. It's interesting in Malachi, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, right? Remember, John is, is that prophet that comes uh, before the great awesome day of the Lord comes when Jesus is born, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Sometimes we think it's like, well, do we really need to turn our hearts to loving our dads and our moms? Do, do dads and moms need to have? Yes. That's why it says it in the Bible. Sometimes we need to reconcile ministries or churches. Man, you want, to see a, you want to see a good church fight? Just get more than one Baptist group together. 
had to laugh a little bit this week there in a bad way, but there was a city, Portland city meeting that was held at Maranatha, I think it was Maranatha Church or something in Portland, uh, about this uh, police officer who was texting with the right wing group, and, and they held it at this church, this church meeting, and the people were shouting and yelling obscenities and rushing the front, and I said, it's like a good Baptist meeting to me. <laughs> Pastor sitting in the back going, what? Seems normal. Sometimes that means reconciling groups, right? Whether it's race or economic. There's this this ministry of reconciliation that's been given to us. So we serve God. We share about God. And then third, we sacrifice for God. We sacrifice for him. What does it mean to sacrifice for God? There's times when we recognize that something greater is happening. That we're just here for a short time, but God has something so much greater for us that we're willing to go without today for the greater good of what is to come. So Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, brothers, uh, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we sacrifice of our lives. Now, we we physically give of ourselves for God. We physically give of ourselves for the lost. We physically give of ourselves for our families. That's why Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for it. Sacrificial. There's... there's, There's going without to bless others. Now, this is totally contrary to what our world says. Our world says you work hard, you get as much as you can, and you are blessed by God to enjoy what God has given you. There's some truth to that. But you are also blessed by God that you might bless others. We are to sacrifice of our, of our love. Um, in 1 John, uh, that might, you need to correct that on your notes there. I don't remember if, if that t- uh, text is there. It says this, By this we know love, that he laid his, his life down for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John, that's, that's kind of confusing. Because Jesus went to the cross and he shed his blood and he gave his life. We want to say, but I'm not Jesus. What do you mean by laying my life down for somebody else? Wow, that's a big question. Can we put other people's needs before our own? I mean, 
can we, can we honor other people? But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed in truth. It's what we do. So we love God with our resources. We looked at Matthew chapter 25 as we kind of finished up Matthew last year. And, and uh, you remember the end, he's separating the sheep and the goats. And he says, oh, you're the ones that fed me and gave me water. And, and the sheep are like, when did we do that, Jesus? When you did it to the least, me. So we use our resources for our church. Look, this church has sat well, not for the entire time, but we'll just say. Uh, corner of 2nd and Lincoln. It was actually down the street for a while. We won't go that back, back that far, but it's out of here a long time. It's a beacon of the gospel because people gave of their resources. We give to our neighbor. There's times that you just may know of a need in the congregation, in the body of Christ, and you say, I'm going to just meet that need. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe you see something needs to be done and you just, you just do it. Sometimes we sacrifice. So, our prayer. God, use me. He already will because he created you, recreated you, filled you with the Spirit, gifted you, and then put things out in front of you for you to do. <clears throat> Say, God, use me. He said, I already got a plan for that. So it's a great prayer. So how can we be more specific in that? Pray that God will use you to serve him, the church, outside the church. One way that I do that is I pray for divine opportunities. God, give me a divine opportunity. Now, here's the thing I've learned about praying that. God's divine opportunities don't look like my divine opportunities. So when I pray for divine opportunities, they usually come in the form of interruptions. And when those interruptions come, I want to be looking for them. Pray God that God puts people on your heart. God, just help me be aware of people that are in need, that I could care for, that I could look after. And when God prompts your heart with that person, do something about it. A long time ago, um, my wife and I were having a, a conflict with somebody in the community, and uh, we went to their pastor to, to have a, a meeting, reconcile. This guy was accusing us of some false stuff, and so we went to meet. And uh, you, know, you know how I love reconciliation. I like to talk about it. Um, I wasn't very excited about it. And it was a very stressful time, very stressful time. 
and uh, elders were involved and knew about it, so I'm not telling you anything that, you know, I'm not giving you all the details, but when we got there, scared, freaked out, there was one of our friend's cars sitting over in the parking lot of this church. I didn't have to go knock on her door and say, who are you doing here? I knew exactly what she was doing. She went there to pray for us. When God puts people on your heart, do something about it. Act on it. Pray that God would use you to share about him. Now, some of you are going to go, Pastor, great sermon. Not going to do that one. (laughs) 90%. Can I take an A? A minus, I'm happy with it. Look, I know I went to seminary and I did all this stuff, but I'm telling you, you are the only pastor some people in this community are ever going to meet. You're the only person that can tell them about Jesus because they would rather drop dead than walk into a church. Some people actually believe that if they walked in here, they would be killed. The building would literally fall in on them. I've heard people tell me that. We've done a few funerals and people are walking out and they go, huh, didn't fall in on me. Some of your relatives. Look, if God brings somebody into your life that needs to hear about Jesus, he'll also give you the words to say. And then finally, pray that God would use you to sacrifice for him. You said, oh, no, now I want to take the B minus. Wow. Because if you're asking God to allow you to sacrifice something, he'll say, okay. But what greater way of worship than to sacrifice something for our Lord Jesus Christ? It's a dangerous prayer. God's already said he'll do it. The question is, do we have the courage to pray it? Let's close. Lord, thank you for an opportunity um, to talk about what it means to serve you, to ask you to use us, God, I pray that we would take to heart the things that you have said. Things that you've promised. God, I think, I pray that we'd be aware of, and I just feel like I need to say that just even as I'm preaching, that you are saying things to people's hearts that they need to respond to. That those aren't just little distractions in the message, but that you were trying to speak to them about something that they need to respond to, and I I just pray that they'd have the courage to do that. I thank you for the faithfulness of so many. And yet, Lord, there's others that it's time for them to step up and to be faithful. And so, God, I just pray that you would encourage us, pray that you would convict us, Pray that you would guide us and lead us in what it means to follow you. 
Lord, we, we do lift up our children's ministry and youth ministry and men's ministry and women's ministry, deaconesses and deacons and buildings and all the things that it takes to keep this church operational. We pray that you would bring workers for that. But beyond that, we pray that there would be so many that, that we'd be finding things in the neighborhood around us for people to use their giftings and their strengths in a way that impacts this community for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.